Welcome, everyone, to episode 79 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode of the podcast, we are recapping the award show that we've been building up toward in all our award season updates over the last few months. That's right. We're recapping Sunday night's 92nd Academy Awards. I couldn't do it with anyone else, of course. So with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, before we unwrap the gift that was this year's Oscars to determine whether it is a shiny new toy or a lump of coal, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Scott. Uh, it was a, a long weekend that ended last night with me uh, getting home at about midnight and deciding to just go ahead and power through and watch the Oscars. And uh, I did it. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did. It was, for the most part, uh, a pr- pretty enjoy- enjoyable spectacle. And, and we definitely have some stuff to talk about with the results here things going in a slightly different direction that we expected in the end i think that while we both had different predictions i i'm pretty happy about how things ended up and i think that potentially a lot of the arguments that i raised in the last uh episode when we made our predictions um possibly came true with the win yeah if only you'd believed them enough to, to be brave yeah. to pick Parasite, which I felt the same way. as. Although at, at the time we recorded the episode, I wasn't feeling very confident at all. But by the time, especially Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon came around, I don't know. I was I was feeling it. I, I saw, you know, all well, I finished the Best Picture Showcase. And we talked about it on, uh, briefly at the beginning of the last podcast, how I watched the, the first three of the seven. And I watched Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite in 1917 on Saturday. And after that, I was like, you know, 1917, still my favorite movie of, of 2019, but man, I think Parasite could do it, and it did. It did, Scott. I wish I'd been brave enough uh, to pick it. I entered, like, Focus Features bracket competition because that was, they're, like, one of the sponsors of the picture showcase, so they were advertising it and stuff, and I did pick Parasite in that one. Uh, didn't didn't pick it for, didn't pick Bong for director, but picked it in that one, uh, so paid off there, but not in our, not in our bracket competition that didn't happen. Yeah, well, you certainly weren't alone in that. I, I also went with 1917, even though, like I like I told you, I think I, I w- was also starting to convince myself as the week went on that Parasite was probably going to do it for, for reasons that we'll talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So, Scott, why not go ahead and get down to business, the 92nd Academy Awards. After the rating success of last year, the Academy did opt for a hostless Oscars for the second year in a row to shepherd in an award show that had three movies receiving double-digit nominations, Joker with 11, 1917 with 10, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with 10 as well. But in spite of those 31 nominations, it was a different movie that took home the only two major awards that people were calling competitive before the show began. That's Parasite. There's no better place to start than with Bong Joon-ho and his and his film Parasite. It won four Oscars, like I just alluded to, two of which were expected. That is the best international feature and the best original screenplay. And two of which uh, were surprises in maybe the best way possible, best director and best picture. Scott, I know, like you've already mentioned, you were watching the awards on you know a delay of several hours here, but what was it like for you watching Parasite take home the big one? 
Yeah, you know, it it just I, I saw people tweeting this out, but and and I agree. Like, it just felt like from that first award, the when they won, I believe adapted screenplay was the first win that Original. they had on the night. Original screenplay, sorry, yeah, um, was the first win that Paris had had on the night. It felt like this is where we were headed. Just the reaction in the room to to the movie was, uh, you know, more vociferous than you were getting for any other movie. Um, and so I, I I felt like, you know, even though part of me still said, you know, it's going to go to 1917, common sense was trying to kick in. Um, I, I just felt, again, it felt in that room like the, you know, like everyone was on the side of Parasite. And obviously I wrote an entire article about this for our newsletter about how just because people are clapping and going crazy for uh, a movie in, in, the, in the room while they're on camera doesn't mean that they're actually voting for that when no one's watching. Uh, but in this case, they did. And so I think we have to tip our caps to them in that regard for, um, you know, in some ways, practicing what they preached and uh, and deciding to go with a foreign language film. First time a foreign language film has ever won Best Picture. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, th- this is uh, an out- outstanding film and um, probably one of the most excellent of the 11 foreign language films that have been nominated for Best Picture in the past. Um, and, 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 you know, it also feels like vindication for what happened last year, right, with Roma losing out to a far inferior film in in Green Book for Best Picture. Of course, that wouldn't have been the case if Parasite had lost in 1917, because 1917 is also phenomenal. But, um, you know, it, it still, it feels like this this is vindication in, in some regard for, uh, for Alfonso Cuaron and his film last year. But, yeah, Scott, you know, we talked about it. I think that the preferential ballot... Probably was what won the day for Parasite in the end. I just think that more so than any other movie on this list, this was the least hated movie of all of the Best Picture nominees, or if it was hated at all, right? If it was even disliked at all. And I think that was kind of the point that I was raising last week, that um, I just feel like this may not be everyone's number one choice, but um, it you know, could could be there at everyone's number two or three, and it's certainly not going to be anyone's you know seven through nine, most likely. Um, and I, I think that ultimately that proved to be the case. Now, I mean, again, who, who knows how much of this was appreciation for the film or, you know, to, to look at it more cynically about was this, you know, kind of a PR thing? Because obviously, you know, if, if you had prior to the Oscars, if you had said, what is the one thing that the Academy can do that will win everyone back over who is, you know, cr- criticizing them? I think the answer probably would have been. Pick, give give best picture to Parasite, um, and that's what they did. But with that being said, the Academy doesn't always go for the obvious, um, you know, PR move. the The thing that is going to be the obvious good look, um, as we've seen in the past, for for some reason, for some head scratching reason, they they often just make some some very illogical decisions when. You know, the, the easy solution is right there in front of them for how to, you know, get people off of their backs. This time they did take the easy solution, but I, I think you'd be hard pressed to argue that it wasn't also the right solution, maybe in the end. Yeah, again, I I sound like a broken record probably, but Parasite, definitely the best picture um, in terms of a quality perspective, start to finish, tightest, I probably just the tightest story. Again, you know, there's all these rumors and not, I mean, they're not rumors, they're confirmed, news rolling around about the fact that there's gonna be this HBO series adapting it and you know bong is going to be able to add some of the stories that he left out but 
anything that he did leave out wasn't necessary to the story that was being told. And in that respect, you know, absolutely, you said it, when original screenplay came down, yes, it was an expected awards win, but just, again, the atmosphere in the room, like it has been all awards season, to be fair, uh, the atmosphere felt like it could swing in that in that favor. And then as 1917 didn't win some of the awards that, again, not necessarily that it was expected to win, although in some cases I think probably were expected to win, but as, the, as those didn't go in their favor, it made you think, well, maybe there are chinks in the summer. Even though Ford vs. Ferrari was an incredibly, uh, an incredible movie with incredible sound editing, you know, 1917 was supposed to win that award. And if that award goes a different way earlier in the night, you know, maybe the atmosphere in the room changes a little bit because it feels like 1917 is winning, you know, all the coin flips, so to speak. But the fact that it only took home sound mixing instead of both sound mixing and sound editing, I think that honestly that, that did make a difference. And that was kind of the first time that I thought, well, this isn't, this may not be 1917's night. But that being said, at the, at the same time, Parasite didn't win production design, which, you know, it, again, it wasn't a favorite for, but if everything had been going its way, it might have won, uh, as well as film editing as well. Again, Ford vs. Ferrari, a worthy winner in that in that category. But um, yeah, it, it didn't win film exciting. editing. It didn't win film editing after winning at the Ace Eddie Awards, which is usually like the, uh, you know, biggest predictor, like a lot of the guilds are. But, you know, that's kind of the, the across out of the window this year because the stats. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. That's kind yeah. of the, the theme across the board is that. You know, obviously Parasite had that SAG win for Best Ensemble, but other than that, the guilds were all going in 1917's favor. Um, but this year, you know, it just didn't line up like it has in a lot of past years. Yeah, I mean, this, the stats are good as an indicator, not a guarantee. And uh, this is one of those years where the the you know the the winners here at 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 the Oscars or the winner, I should say defied the odds, defied the expectations. I mean, no no foreign language film, no international feature <laughs> film, as it should be called now, probably, uh, from the Oscars, uh, had won before. And, you know, there's a first time for everything, as there was tonight. I, I want to circle back around and talk about some of those technical categories about 1917 here in a second. But one of the things I want to go ahead and ask now, I thought about maybe saving it for later, but why not ask it now, is it seems like the response to Parasite winning is appropriately that, oh, this is, you know, breaking down barriers to international cinema in the United States. People are people are going to go out and watch Parasite. People are going to go out and watch other international movies. They're not going to be as deterred to watch uh, movies with subtitles. Scott, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this reaction and whether you agree or, or disagree with this with this take. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that, to be honest with you. I think that for, for me, this is the first step in a longer process that, you know, it needs to happen. We We've seen this happen before, right? Like, at least for, for me personally, something like The Shape of Water, which a movie that I never saw, right? But it, it indicates that the Academy was going in maybe a, a more interesting direction with their choices. They followed that up by choosing Green Book for Best Picture. Um, and so, you know, you, you can't you can't base everything on what happened at this one Oscars. You, the, yes, Parasite did win Best Picture, um, but that's not going to cure all of the defects in the process. And, and it's not going to cure all of the complaints that we, we had, uh, you know, about the nominations and the lack of uh, people of color being nominated in acting categories and women directors and genre movies and, and, and all of it, that the, the defects in the process are still there and, and we're still on full display this year. And parasites win for me, doesn't change that. Yeah. However, it is a positive step for the Academy. And I think that, um, you know, Looking ahead, like 
you know, another example, right, was that the show opened up with a lot of those movies that got snubbed and yeah. like like Midsummer and like Clean and Slim and Dolomite is my name, you know, movies that were common snubs, um, you know, commonly discussed as snubs. And OK, so I rolled my eyes at those and said, look, don't don't condescend to us and act like you watch these movies or whatever. But at the end of the day, the fact that they even acknowledge the existence of a movie like Midsummer at all um, suggests that they are at least somewhat self-aware. The Academy is at least somewhat self-aware of, uh, you know, what people are saying in the movies that people are talking about. Um, and, you know, particularly as snubs, they even had, I mean, then Steve Martin and Chris Rock came out and did a whole, you know, set basically roasting the, the Oscars and their, you know, nomination biases. Um, so, so they are, there, there is some level of self-awareness there, but, I, I mean, the question going forward will just be, can they get out of their own way enough um, and, you know, cont- continue along the trend of um, what what we saw this year with Parasite? Not necessarily, you know, picking a foreign language film to win Best Picture every year, but, um, you know, p- picking something more, valuing original filmmaking um, and picking something that is more challenging than, you know, a Green Book or the King's Speech or something. Sure, and to take it a step further, you talk about going from Shape of Water to Green Book. I mean, they went from Moonlight to Shape of Water to Green Book. Yeah. So there, again, maybe the overall trend is in the right direction. You have Parasite, which, I mean, it's the closest thing to a genre film you're going to have probably when winning Best Picture, at least in this day and age. I mean, Shape of Water, I guess, is a genre movie as well. But still, it, it's it, Green Book is miles away from, from genre film, and so rarely are they acknowledged as even existing. I didn't love the opening scene. Since you brought it up, I do I want to circle back to the ceremony itself later, but you know, maybe we can talk about that more then. But I didn't love that um the the dance the costumes, essentially they were wearing costumes that were reflective of of the of some of the snubbed films, a lot of snub films. But it, it wasn't like that was dedicated to the snubbed films either because there were costumes for uh, you know nominated films as well. I mean 1917 mm-hmm. I saw Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We, we can circle back around to that in a second because I do want to go back to Parasite and the question that I asked. And, and not only was I asking it from the Academy perspective, but also just a consumer perspective. I, I feel like a lot of takes that I've read today are that like, oh, people are going to go like international film at, like, at the box office is going to increase and like consumer uh, con- like consumption of international films at the box office are going to increase. And I get what people are saying as it as it relates to going people going and watching Parasite. I mean, I've I heard a story. I was listening to Collider FYC's you know reaction this morning, talking about how there's a public library. I can't remember if it was Seattle or somewhere else, where there's a 200 person line to rent Parasite right now, which is awesome. Like that's so incredible that people that there's a 200 person line to watch you know a international you know South Korean film where there's subtitles for pretty much the entire film, I and mean, there's a couple lines of English in the movie, but most of it's in 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 Korean. And that's and that's awesome, but I don't know if that translates to people going out and watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire next week when it comes out in the U.S. And I don't know if that translates to people, you know, going and watching, you know, movies like Pain and Glory or Cold War from, you know, last year. Like I didn't watch Cold War. I watched Pain and Glory this year, but I didn't watch Cold War last year. I, I didn't watch other foreign language films besides Roma. I think I can't think of any at least. You know, you could argue The Farewell is maybe a mainstream. No foreign language film. It wouldn't qualify for the Oscars as a foreign language film, but it qualifies for other award shows as a foreign language film. And I guess I just don't buy that that the barriers in the box office, you know, at the box office, have been broken down by by this. I, I think it's going to take a lot more to break into the mainstream 
consciousness and consumption of foreign language films to to get you know box offices you know hitting you know 100 million I and mean, parasites done like 40 million domestic which is incredible for an international feature but i just don't think that's going to translate to the next you know to the next film that follows it yeah and i mean i think it's probably a case too of that that the people who who aren't watching these movies um, and who didn't don't know about Parasite, didn't care about Parasite, probably also don't care that much about the Oscars and don't care necessarily if a, you know, what they, they don't care about a movie that wins Best Picture. Like when they see a movie that wins Best Picture, they're not going to be like, oh, I have to go see this film or whatever. Um, I, and I, I just feel like the people watching the Oscars, right, the people celebrating uh, Parasite are the, the the target audience I, i'm and i'm not sure that the, the oscars are going to reach anyone outside like parasites target audience that much if that makes sense yeah i i think i disagree i think that as someone before i became a more like i don't know aggressive so to speak moviegoer because that's really the only thing that you can probably call me now as an aggressive moviegoer i i did care about what won best picture and again maybe i still saw more movies than the average person but people you know people at the office today at work and, and at lunch were talking about parasite um, and talking about the Oscars. And these are people who, you know, yes, it's not like they never go to the box office, but, you know, they don't all necessarily go that often. And so I think people who are talking about it, I think it shows that people will go out and see it. Does, does that mean every, like, all 23 million people who were watching the Oscars last night or whatever are going to go watch Parasite if they hadn't seen it? No, it, it doesn't mean that. But I think that there's more attention on the film. And I think ultimately, even people who aren't in the target audience necessarily are at least going to be talking about it and thinking about it. Even yeah. if ultimately go and see it. And I mean, and it took tremendous buzz throughout awards season and, you know, throughout Oscar season. And, and I mean, win, winning Best Picture is what it took for, you know, mainstream moviegoers perhaps to finally pay attention to a movie like Parasite. And so I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think that this is going to be any sort of gateway drug for international film as a whole because I just think that. Um, these international films are going to have to gain the sort of reputation that Parasite has over the course of this long award season before this, these types of audiences are even going to pay attention to them. I think right now this is just kind of a blip in the radar as an example of, oh, hey, this I need to watch this movie because it won Best Picture, not yep. I need to watch this movie because it's a foreign language. Exactly. I think that's the thing. It's like people people who the incremental bump to Parasite as a as a as an international feature is going to be because of its awards buzz, and that's gonna and that's what's gonna drive up its its, its gross even more. Or granted, it was already an, an incredibly high grossing international feature. You know, it it, it really did uh, rest on its merits and get lifted by the rising tide of the love for the film and the evangelism for the film that I think existed out there. But again, I just don't know if it translates to whatever foreign language film is in the conversation or you know going to be the guaranteed win at the oscars next year it it just extends beyond that i just don't think that you know you know i say that and the one exception might be is that if a studio like for example sony had pain and glory i mean neon is, a, is an indie film uh company so they you know they limit their ability to you know, marketing reach but look at sony like they had pain and glory maybe this oscar win means that sony pushes you know their international feature film more next year maybe, maybe that's what ends up translating and you know more marketing dollars means more eyes see the trailer more eyes maybe go to the theater so maybe there is you know incremental downstream effects of that but again i just heard like i mean everyone like scott mance jeff snyder all of them talking about how this is a huge uh you know barrier breaking event for the box office international features and i just don't know if i bought it yeah i i, I don't think so there i mean i think at the most 
people maybe like you said if they if they even are see a trailer for a foreign language film might be like oh hey parasite was pretty cool that was a foreign language film you know may, maybe i'll check this one out too maybe it'll be like parasite i think that's probably the best attitude that we're going to get at this particular yeah i mean and to be fair raise your hand and say that's awesome if that's the if that's the attitude shift that happens as a real that's awesome yeah, I know. No, absolutely. Just like Bong said, you know, you can find some incredible movies when you get past the one inch of subtitles or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, Scott, go watch some more foreign language films. You too, buddy. I know. Uh, hey, Portrait of a Lady on Fire <laughs> coming out this week. And I did watch yeah. Glory. Um so, You did. That is true. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch I Lost My Body because that is foreign language. But oh, well. Anyway, so we talked a lot about Parasite. Maybe it's effects. Maybe we're a little bit more mixed than some of the critics that we follow uh, thoughts on the long-term ramifications of the Parasite win, but one film that still you know came in second in an awards hall perspective. But you know, is it a winner? Is it a loser? It's hard to say on the night. And that is 1917. It did take home three awards, three I think very deserving awards, and best visual effects, best sound mixing, not to be confused with best sound editing, and then best cinematography. Probably the one that it's most deserved of by far here, but it misses out on a lot of other awards, you know, some other technical awards. You know, I personally thought it should have won best score uh, over Joker, uh, over several other films as well. Uh, I thought it, of course, I still stand by that. I think that I, Sam Mendes should have won for best director and I would have, I would have voted for him for best director if I had an Oscar ballot. Um, and then of course, losing out on best picture as well. So a bit of a mixed bag for 1917, you know, if you rewind two months, and you know, someone told Sam Mendes that his movie was going to win three Academy Awards, and you know, he was going to win Best Picture at the Golden Globes. He was going to win Best Director at all these award shows. Probably call it a win, but when it came to awards night, I don't know, Scott. Did you think this was a win or a loss for 1917? Yeah, I think it's probably a loss. Um, you know, they they got Dunkirked in the end. They got they got the technical awards, but they weren't able to break through into any of the um, you know big big eight categories really, and. That, that's a disappointment for them because I think this movie was certainly talked about as a much better contender for, you know, those top awards than Dunkirk was. Yeah. So to see it fall prey to sort of the same fate that that similarly, you know, tone similar in content film um, in, in Dunkirk fell prey to, I, I think will be a disappointment for them. Ultimately, Sam Mendes seemed to wear it well. He was celebrating um, the wins for Parasite and Bong Joon-ho, certainly, but um, deep down, I, I think he probably is a little bit disappointed. Um, you know, e even that some of the technical categories, like you said, that maybe we would have expected them to take, um, they didn't take home. But of course, cinematography, visual effects, I think these are the kind kinds of things that um, we thought would be no brainers for the movie. Um, and so I, I don't know that I see those as huge wins for, uh, for the movie in the end, because, you know, Roger Deakins was always going to win for best cinematography. I think visual effects was also almost a foregone conclusion. I mean, I heard some people talking about Irishman, but still, I think this was the favorite. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, the fact that they weren't able to break through into any of those other categories, like people predicted they might, uh, I think is what's ultimately going to be the storyline for this movie when they look back on this award season. Um, and, and yeah, I think, it, I think it will be a disappointment for them. Um, but, you know, only one movie can win Best Picture, and 1917 was really dang good. So, um, and I mean, and look, like I, like I said, like I kind of predicted, um, when Bong won Best Picture, for I mean, Best Director for me, I knew it was going to be 
um, it was going to win Best Picture after that. A new Parasite was going to take it just because I, I don't think you could give 1917 Best Picture without giving it all to Best Director because the directing is such a signature part of it. It is the signature part of that movie, along with, you know, the, the technical aspect. So um, ultimately, I think that proved true in the end. And, and, then, and maybe that hurt um, 1917 in the end, the fact that it was kind of, um, you know, a, a double package. If you if you if you wanted it to win something, you kind of had to give it up. Um, and I don't know if that hurt hurt it in the end, but regardless, of that it yeah, I think I think I I agree with that for the most part. It's it's tough to call the night a win uh, for 1917, even though it does get those three awards, and it did get Dunkirk. I mean, true that probably no one was talking about Dunkirk winning the big prizes. I, it's hard for me to honestly think back to that award show. I mean, I, I actually I guess we. We talked about that award show on the podcast, didn't we? Because that was after we'd started doing the podcast. But I don't really remember that really being viewed as, as that big of a loss for Dunkirk because they just weren't ever really in the conversation for, you know, Nolan for Best Director or or Dunkirk for Best Picture. It, at least it didn't feel that way that year. There were so many other things. But again, you know, you, you rewind a year if this movie gets made a year ago. I mean, this I can't see any other uh, storyline except 1917 just crushing the award season last year. I mean. Compared to this year, 2018, look, it had it had its highs for sure, but 2019 was just such a far superior year in film. I mean, yes, Green Book wasn't, uh, you know, definitely wasn't the top choice, uh, uh, you know, from our perspective for Best Picture last year. But I, I can think of three, maybe even four movies that I'd take over any of the movies from last year in the Best Picture conversation that were nominated for Best Picture this year. So that's just the the competitive nature of the award season. And you talk about it being a disappointment for Sam Mendes. Like, yeah, he wore it well. He's probably very excited for. For Bong Joon Ho, he seemed like the kind of guy who would be excited for his, um, you know, his fellow filmmakers. But it also must sting. Like, yeah, he got the Best Director Award for, uh, you know, his first film in American Beauty, and he he hasn't he hasn't found uh, that awards uh, at the Oscars at least since then. And especially with this being and this being, it feels like his magnum opus. It feels like this is <laughs> this passion project as much as maybe Parasite was Bong Joon Ho's passion project. This might be Sam Mendes's passion project as well. The fact that this was a you know about a story that his grandfather told him, you know, done in such a you know delicate and intentional way, being shot and designed the way that it was, with you know the months and months of of choreography and practice that went in before the cameras even turned on. Uh, I'm sure it will it will sting a little bit. Um, you know, again, if I had my way, I'd have given Mendes best director and Parasite best picture. Um, but I'm also not complaining the, the Parasite one, one either. So again, deserving of the technical awards, I would have given it a few more as well, but I mean, everyone knows that I'm biased towards 1917 at this point. So there you go. Yeah, no, like you said, it speaks to how good of a year it was that we were comfortable with a lot of the movies winning best picture. I mean, like, like, you know, of course my personal choice would have been little women, but uh, I certainly don't feel any, uh, you know, ill will towards Parasite, which is also an outstanding choice. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you know, you know, we we asked the question of whether 1917's award wins were a win or a loss, but one that absolutely is a loss, Scott. Uh, that is Netflix overall, but we'll hone in first on The Irishman. Ten nominees. I mentioned them at the start. Firing absolute blanks. I mean, the favorite at least managed to get off. A, you know, an award. I think Olivia Coleman got an award last year, but and a real dour performance of The Irishman at the award shows. And honestly, Scott, it's not at all surprising. No, it's not. I, I think that, you know, it's it's hard to try and pinpoint one thing that 
that led to the, the, the sort of the downfall of this movie in award season. But I do, I think we do have to look at the length of this movie, right? Like I, I am someone who has been very vocal about the fact that I don't think the movie is too long. I think that people complaining about the, that a lot of people complaining about the movie being too long, it's a lazy critique and that they don't have any real substance to it. Um, it's just something, you know, they're just kind of piling on because it is a three and a half hour movie, which in a lot of circumstances would be very long. But again, I didn't feel that way. Nevertheless, it was one of the talking points of this movie for sure. Um, And it's hard to say whether Oscar voters, you know, who only have a limited amount of time to watch these movies and, um, you know, only have a limited number of movies that they probably ultimately do watch. um, Maybe this is one that just got kept getting pushed further down the pile because of how long it was. And then, you know, when the time came, if they did indeed watch it, um, just just didn't feel really invested because of the length. Um, and of course, the visual effects, too. Right. Like they were nominated. They had a chance of winning. But it was still a talking point that the the de-aging technology for some people was a bit distracting. Um, and so I think that that some of these talking points probably um, ultimately hurt them if fair or not. And I and I happen to think they aren't fair um, hurt hurt the Irishman in the end. Um, although, you know, th- there may be other other reasons for it as well. Maybe people just thought that other films were better and this was just kind of uh, a movie that was just in the middle of the pa- solidly in the middle of the pack for everyone. But still, with a movie like this, with the names attached to this, you would have and, and you know, with the, with what we know about the demographic makeup of the Academy, I think you would have expected this movie to do better when you first heard it announced. I think that that overall, I mean, not even think that you would do it better. I think everyone was talking about it was going to be doing better uh, than it ultimately did. Of course, it couldn't have done, it literally could not have done worse uh, or yeah, last night. But for me, I think there, I think there's several problems that run deeper than just the runtime. I think the runtime is absolutely a serious issue, at least for getting that, you know, the wider academy to watch it. I think that the target audience of a Martin Scorsese, you know, crime movie, you know, those people are always going to watch this film. It doesn't matter if the film was five hours long, they were still going to watch it. But with the demographics of the Academy changing, you know, getting to that number of people in the Academy that you would need to get to, right? I think that absolutely the runtime starts to be a factor to be like, especially with the conversation you're on, oh, it's three and a half hours long. Oh, it's, you know, three quarters of this is the same movie we've seen five different times from Scorsese, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which I I think are more valid complaints than you do. Um, again, I, I don't know if the if the complaints of this film should rest on those things. I think there's definitely more nuanced complaints and to be had about the film, but I think that those are complaints and a lot of the conversation around that happened. So I think that that did drive part of the Academy's um, maybe lack of interest in watching this film. And the thing is too here is that I think that there is some really tough competition for the vote of, you know, the Irish, like uh, for certain members that the target audience in the Academy, right? There's also, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. There's also, you know, other films um, that I think speak to the same audience, including Netflix's other film, Marriage Story, which, yes, maybe not uh, on the surface looks doesn't necessarily look like the exact same kind of movie, but I think the target audience here is still similar, um, or at least there is some significant overlap in it. And I think the reality is, is that Marriage Story was a better movie than The Irishman. Maybe again, it, part of that is shorter. I think part of that is that it feels a little bit more original from Noah Baumbach than than what you get from Martin Scorsese. And I think some of the performances, although maybe you can definitely argue and debate which, you know, which performances in which film are superior, 
I think that these particular performances feel different than the performances that you're getting, you know, in The Irishman. I and and I think that part of that then leads to this splitting of the vote between people who are, you know, are more on board with Netflix voting for Marriage Story, voting for Irishman, things like that. And you know, ultimately the fact that these movies also came out at basically the same time in award season and Netflix had these overlapping messages of which movie to be voting for in this race. I think it, it just muddled the message. I mean, Netflix, it sounds weird to say, but Netflix may have had the problem of having two movies in the race for best picture actually hurting them and not having one movie to get behind. Like last year with Roma, the fact they only had one movie to get behind, no, they didn't get all the way to best picture there either. But people were having serious conversations about, you know, the night of the night of the ceremony, will Roma, you know, win best picture? It wasn't necessarily the favorite. It was, certainly was the underdog. But I don't think anyone was really thinking that Marriage Story or The Irishman were going to win Best Picture when it came to to uh, Oscars night on Sunday night. And I think ultimately uh, Netflix, you know, we talked about The Irishman being a failure. It, you know, Netflix in general, 24 nominations, two awards. Of course, one of those awards is in a major category for the first time for Netflix with Laura Dern winning for her supporting performance in Marriage Story. But the other one is, you know, Best Documentary and the fact that it had two films nominated for Best Animated Feature. Neither of them won. It had, you know, many, many more nominations across the different, uh, across the different categories. None of those won. It was a real bummer for Netflix overall. Yeah, no, I, I just wonder how this is going to, you know, affect Netflix's strategy going forward. Are they going to focus more on one movie, like you said, like kind of like they did with Roma, or are they going to go, you know, in the other direction and maybe just try to like completely saturate the market with? Uh, there, you know, with with prestige films to try and just kind of drown out the the studio movies. Uh, I don't know, uh, but I, I, they they still seem seem to have a mountain to overcome. Even even though they are, you know, making some progress with, like you said, winning best supporting actress this year, winning best director last year. Um, clearly, when it comes to domination across the board at the award shows, they still have a lot. Yeah, they do. I mean, obviously, being the studio with the most nominations is is a huge accomplishment. And again, <clears throat> trending in that direction of becoming a prestige um, movie studio. But they need to obviously they need to convert some of those into wins. Again, it's a start. You know, getting getting us getting an acting Oscar for the first time is a start. But I think that they would be smart to to at least at the very least stagger the releases of their prestige films. That doesn't mean put one out in March and put one out in. December, but like put one out in August, put one out in, you know, October, put one out in December, stagger them a little bit, see what's sticking. And then they can decide and be a little bit more surgical in, in their Oscar campaigns, especially when it comes to, you know, the big categories that they care the most about. I mean, one of the reasons why we were talking about Klaus and, you know, I lost my body, two films that came out very late in the year is because they came, they came a little bit out of nowhere. They weren't expected, which obviously a prestige film from Netflix is never going to come out of nowhere. I don't think like we're all we're going to know what films are going to be coming out. But the fact that they came out late enough and then they won some of these more, you know, these smaller awards. They won at the, you know, I think Klaus won at the Annie's and I Lost My Body also won at the Annie's. You know, getting, you know, these, you know, e even in the Guild Show to build hype. I mean, that is how, you know, that is how the whole conversation around, you know, became 1917 versus Parasite. You know, winning at these, you know you know, the the award shows that are leading into the Oscars. You know, maybe the HFPA doesn't like Netflix movies so much. Maybe they never really have a chance there. But I think Netflix does have a real chance to make inroads in some of the guilds. And I think staggering their releases a little bit, figuring out what's going to test well and work well in those particular deals, and then trying to build awards anticipation for those films at other award shows, especially with a longer uh, Oscar season 
next year and future years, because obviously this was a really short one with it being the first week in February this year. I think they can find probably a little bit more success, but they shouldn't be releasing both of their prestige films in basically one week apart at the end of November and beginning of December. I just think that it makes it more difficult for, oh, you know, awards voters, be that, you know, the Academy, be that the HFPA, be that the guilds, even critics to know, you know, what the awards message is coming from Netflix. So that's my take. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, Scott, other losers here. I think, you know, no better place to, to turn to next than the other two films with lots of nominations that I mentioned at the beginning. Joker uh, won two awards, nominated for 11, one for Best Original Score, which I mentioned uh, earlier already. And then, of course, Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix. Scott, I think it's a cat, you know, 11 nominations. It's up for debate whether or not, you know, how many they were supposed to win or not supposed to win. But they won the ones they were supposed to win, in my opinion. And they didn't win any of the ones that were more competitive where they weren't supposed to win. Uh, so probably a wash for Joker, but I, I think certainly uh, people at Warner Brothers and Todd Phillips at all maybe would have hoped for a little bit more magic. Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, I, I think this is more of a it's an honor to be nominated situation because of how many nominations they got, right? Like the 11 nominations, getting the most nominations of any film, that was the win for them in the end, I think, because of, of all the conversations surrounding that, just that fact alone, that, that, that this movie was getting the most nominations, 11 nominations, and that, you know, it was the first quote unquote comic book film. I mean, again, it's what it really is, is just a recycled Scorsese uh, crime movie, but if, you know, it, we can characterize it as a as a, uh, a comic book film if you want. But, you know, to get that many nominations as ostensibly a comic book uh, film, that that was kind of the win for Joker in the end, I, I, I think. And, and like you said, they took home the ones that uh, that you expected them to with with score and best actor. But uh, beyond that, I don't think that they they really had that much of a realistic shot. And I don't think that they'll be too disappointed with how things came out because this movie was never really going to uh, make waves, I don't think. Yeah, I think the most they could have hoped for was maybe a couple coin flip wins in some of the other craft categories. You know, thinking <clears> about <throat> costumes and hair and makeup, you know, maybe they had a shot at that. Costumes would have been insane if they had won, but... I mean, maybe. I, I think there was a little bit of buzz around that, but again, they weren't the favorite. It was going to be... It, I mean, the conversation in costumes was around JoJo and Little Women, of course, Little Women uh, coming out on there, and then in makeup man, it would have taken something special to beat Bombshell, I think, for makeup. And anyone who saw Bombshell or even saw the trailer for Bombshell would understand why that was. But the point being that they were in the conversation for those, especially probably especially makeup. They were probably the second favorite uh, past, behind Bombshell uh, for makeup. But yeah, that's what probably the most they could have hoped for, like maybe a production design. But even that would have been a super long shot compared to some of the other, other players in that category this year. So overall, I think I agree with you. The other film that I kind of lump into this category with Joker is, of course, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ten nominations, two awards. It did win for production design, and I, th I thought it was a little bit of an upset. Uh, I thought Parasite was going to win that one. You know, not a clear favorite in my, in my opinion, but uh, I, I thought that I had them, and I was a little bit surprised that if one of them was going to beat a Parasite, that it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and not, say, 1917 with the, trench, with the trenches, uh, et cetera. And then uh, the other one, uh, no surprises here, Best Supporting Actor for Brad Pitt, which, uh, you know, his, his speech, honestly, now thinking more about it, his speech, probably my favorite speech of the night. Uh, again, kind of been the case the whole award season with, with his speeches being better than everyone else's. But I think I mean, we can talk about this in a little bit, but I think most of the speeches last night, pretty boring 
in my opinion, and pretty pretty much par for the course for the Oscars, which is not a compliment in terms of speeches. But yeah, two out of ten there. Of course, striking out in original screenplay for Quentin Tarantino, uh, best director as well, best picture, firing a blank, firing a blank, and best actor as well. Again, none of these were necessarily surprises by the time the award night came, Scott. But uh, win or a loss for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Definitely a loss. This movie was talked about as the favorite for best picture around the time the Oscar nominations came out. And then for whatever reason, it just was no longer really in the picture by the time we got to Oscar season. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to say why uh, the Oscar conversation shifts in the ways that it does sometimes, but we do see this happen a fair amount um, where, you know, for, for no apparent reason, a movie just disappears from the conversation um, despite having been at the forefront of that conversation in the matter of a couple of weeks. And that movie was once upon a time in Hollywood. I, I do think they would have expected more, not just best picture maybe, but best uh, original screenplay. Certainly. I think Tarantino is always, um, you know, when, when he's nominated for screenplay, I think he, he's going to always expect to win that just because of, um, you, you know, how he, how he is uh, acclaimed as a screenwriter. Um, that is, you know, what he what he has made his name off of. But how many other times he won original screenplay? Two. Um, cinematography, obviously, they didn't. You know, they they weren't didn't have a realistic chance to beat 1917. But you did have, you know, Robert Richardson as your cinematographer, someone who, um, you know, is right up there with Roger Deakins in terms of, you know, the goats, um, and has won some Oscars himself. Um, and, and yeah, you know, just the technical categories in another year, maybe they would have had a chance. Uh, but even still, I think that just because of where this movie was at a few weeks ago compared to where it's at now, uh, Quentin Tarantino has got to be disappointed because I think this is the best chance he's probably he that, that he as a director was probably ever going to have at winning Best Picture just because of the type of director he is. I think this, you know, the, the content of this film was uh, the closest thing that he's going to get for like a to, to like a movie that is going to win best picture yeah. um, and it didn't get there. So uh, I, I think he's going to be disappointed about that. Yeah. Disappointed, but probably not surprised would be my take. Cause you're right. I mean, the, this did disappear from the conversation around uh, favorites. You, you were always, I think a little bit more keen on its chances than I was obviously coming out of the golden globes with it winning uh, in the admittedly weaker category of um, best picture musical or comedy. Uh, I think that it was always going to be uh, an, a necessary for them to continue to build hype and buzz around its awards potential through the guilds. And it won pretty much nothing uh, through the guild awards. And I mean, really, I think Quentin Tarantino only getting love from the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, I think that might have been the only place that he really made any waves. Of course, he's not a member of the Writers Guild, so he's not eligible for those. So that's always a bit of a wild card. But to me, yeah, this was definitely a disappointment. I, I loved this film, but again, it's just such an incredible, incredible year of film. Uh, the fact that you know I saw this movie for a third time on Saturday, loved it just as much as all the other times that I'd seen it, if not more, and it still is comfortably riding my number nine spot in my top ten list. And uh, that's just because there are eight films for me uh, that were better than it this year, and that's and that's pretty astounding. I agree that this is probably his best chance to have won best director or best picture. Um, especially Best Picture, because of the content, like you say. But again, at the same time, I lean back here, I think about it, and you know, the reason why this didn't have a better chance of winning Best Picture, again, not to say that it would have won Best Picture, but the reason it didn't have a better chance is because of the last 20, 25, 30 minutes of that film. 
Uh, it was polarizing. Talk about with the preferential yeah. ballot, how important it is. Uh, maybe it was even important for Parasite that even if even if Parasite wasn't number one on everyone's list, it probably wasn't lower than three or four on everyone's list. And for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, might have been at the top of some people's list, but it was definitely near the bottom on some others, uh, which is unfortunate for that. But, but even that, you know, like it kind of goes to my point just though that it was only 20 to 30 minutes of the movie that was, you know, Tarantino's typical style. And so I don't know that he's ever going to make another movie that yeah. uh, is that restrained. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I think, yes, I, I, I definitely know what you're saying, that that, yeah. that part of the movie was obviously very divisive and maybe what cost it in the end. Um, but you know, from a macro perspective, I think that this is the, this is the least Tarantino Tarantino movie that we're probably ever going to get. And for that reason, maybe the best one, but probably the best chance to ever win. Best yeah, totally. A hundred percent agree. Um, and just it, it, in spite of its least Tarantino-ness, it is the, of course, the Tarantino-ness of the movie that I think ultimately holds it back. Uh, and yeah. again, maybe in another year, maybe if it came out last year, it would be, uh, it would be the clear favorite, but uh, that's just not how not how the cookie crumbled this year. And it's unfortunate because, again, loved this film. Uh, wished it could have gotten more awards. But when I look at the different categories that it was nominated, I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if I would have picked it to win those awards categories because it's just the kind of year it was, which is what it is. But other quick hits to hit. I mean, we've already talked about a few of them, but the actually we talked about three out of the four of them, to be honest. But the acting awards, you know, all went according to plan. Uh, I had a couple people ask me on the night of the Oscars who came over to my place to watch it what they should pick and they're like family pools. I'm like, look, you're only doing like the, the big six categories. Uh, you got four locks right here. If you don't pick these four, you're, yeah. you're losing your ballot pool. <laughs> um, and it turned out that way. We talked about Joaquin Phoenix winning for Joker. We talked about Brad Pitt winning for Once Upon a Time. We mentioned, of course, Laura Dern winning for Best Supporting Actress. And then Renee Zellweger finishing out the quartet of acting wins as expected. Scott, I mean, we've made this joke repeatedly here, but what percentage of the Academy do you think actually watched Judy? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it has to be very low. And after watching Renee Zellweger's speech, I wonder if they're going to regret their choice in the end because there were just some very weird moments in it, including this I weird. Know that was going to happen. I mean, she's such a. I mean, her speeches have been weird all all season. But you know, somehow hinting at the fact that she was indicating that maybe she was an immigrant in some way when she's from Houston um, was a very strange. I mean, it was just, it was obviously just a you know misphrase like misphrasing. She just phrased something the wrong way, but uh, it came off as really weird in the moment. Um, and and yeah, like she's had some weird speeches throughout award season. So I, I I you know I don't really get what the deal was with this performance, other than I guess you know playing a, a famous actress, playing someone that most people in the academy uh, you know are you know beloved. Um, and you know, maybe that's some people in the Academy even knew. So, uh, unfortunately in the end, while there were certainly more deserving performances in this category, I think that, um, this was, you know, always going to be a lock. And the fact that, you know, like last year we did have the one upset with Olivia Coleman beating out Glenn Close, but also, you know, the, the Golden Globes forecasted that with the, you know, musical comedy drama split, um, and this year, that just wasn't even a factor because Aquafina was not nominated for the Oscar. So, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot, unfortunately. And, you know, Renee Zellweger, one of the few people who probably won at, I think, literally every award show because she also won at the Indie Spirits, uh, which we can touch on briefly uh, 
at the end of this, but she was the only person to also get the award from Indie Spirits. And you know, from my perspective, I haven't seen the film. I probably never will, but I can't imagine it any other way than this is also the Academy giving Judy Garland an award, which fair enough, I guess, fair enough. I, I think, you know, I can't say that there were people more deserving than her because I didn't watch her performance, but there certainly were some really strong performances this year. All right, uh, animated feature, we touched on that the Netflix ones did not win, and that's because Toy Story 4, I don't know, defied the odds, probably was still the favorite the whole time, but just uh, facing some real upstarts, uh, especially in the form of Kloss. I never really thought Missing Link would really carry through all the way, uh, just because, I mean, we saw that film. You saw that film too, Scott. That film just wasn't that good. I don't, I don't know what the, what the big deal was uh, about that one. Um, but Klaus, again, at least, you know, in spite of the fact that I also felt that, that film was somewhat mediocre, its animation was incredible, absolutely incredible, hand-drawn animation, just not, you don't see that style of animation anymore with the uh, power of, you know, CG animation uh, these days and, you know, th drawing things on the computer versus by hand, obviously, original Toy Story, things like that, um, kind of led the way in, in terms of computer animation, but, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I guess a uh, uh, hearkening back to an older time uh, in a in such a you know high fidelity way of of Klaus was really touching, and I'm not disappointed because I do think Toy Story Four was the best animated feature of last year. I again, I, I did only see three of the five. I didn't see I Lost My Body or uh, How to Train a Dragon Three, but Toy Story Four a fitting winner. Do you think? Yeah, no, I think this was just the one that the most people probably saw um, in the end. You know, it, it has that name recognition of being a Toy Story movie. The Toy Story movies are very beloved. So, um, yeah, even though like, right, like Missing Link won at the Golden Globes, like you said, there were some different movies winning at the Annie's. Um, this doesn't come as as a big surprise. You know, Pixar winning in this category is never going to be a big surprise. And uh you know, I think this was, you know, ch chalk another one up for him here. And yeah, it's a great film. So I, I don't, I don't have any bad feelings about this. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's credit to Netflix and credit to the other films in the category that the fact that this wasn't a foregone conclusion by, you know, the start of the show, that should be the victory uh, for, for other films in this category. The fact that it wasn't an automatic win uh, for Pixar, the fact that there was some conversation right. around it being upset potentially. All right, Scott, I think that really does it for the awards that we could cover. I mean, if you want to mention the other here, that's fine too. But if not, want to switch gears to talk more focused on the ceremony itself. We did already mention the Janelle uh, uh, Janelle Monet opening, uh, I guess, two numbers, really. The, of course, the, the tribute to uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, but also, of course, this kind of montage of other uh, more upbeat songs. Um, then, you know, won't you be my neighbor? And all the costumes that were involved with that, you mentioned uh, Chris Rock and Steve Martin's uh, opening monologue. I mean, there's really no other way to describe it except opening monologue, because that's really what it was. Mm -hmm. And then uh, sprinkled in here and there other parts of the award show. Scott, what were the highlights for you of the ceremony itself? I don't know. There's not a lot that sticks out from the actual sort of ceremony parts of the show. I think it was probably a weaker year for some of those. I don't think that I think most of the jokes on the evening probably fell flat despite having some funny people on stage like Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus were up there together at one point. And when they came out, I thought, OK, finally, we're going to have some good laughs. Um, not really. Um, maybe the first time I laughed was when Tom Hanks was joking about the Academy president being Mr. Excitement, uh, which he clearly was not uh, when he, you know, he was talking about the Academy Museum or whatever. Um, but I think, you know, from a comedy perspective, 
maybe they, they were hurt by not having a host. You know, I, I think that seems to be what a lot of people are saying that they should have had a host this year. Um, and I, I, I kind of agree, even though like for, for whatever reason, last year's show without a host seemed to be a lot more cohesive and less disjointed than this year's did. I think the non-hostiness of this year's, uh, the non-hostiness really came through more this year than it did last year. Um, and so I think next year they probably will strongly consider going back to having a host. But beyond that, um, musical performances, I think, were, you know, fine to good. Um, you know, uh, Cynthia Revo is obviously a, an amazing performer. The song didn't particularly grab me. Uh, Randy Newman got to do a fun, you know, this fun number from Toy Story. Um, and then, you know, maybe the the two strongest musical performances on the night were the ones that weren't related to the awards and that's Billie Eilish singing in the in memoriam uh section singing the yesterday by the Beatles I saw some real boomer takes on this per, uh, performance that I was disappointed by but I thought it was was really captivating um and then uh Eminem something that no one saw coming um after this sort of montage about music in the movies, uh, coming out to perform his classic, uh, Academy award winning song, lose yourself. Um, and you know, it, it was very random and a lot of people were commenting on the randomness of it, but I was a huge fan of it. That's one of probably one of my all time favorite songs, to be honest with you. Um, and seeing Eminem come out, come out to do that was, you know, a nice surprise. It, it was a, a definitely a legitimate surprise in an evening where, uh, you know, even something like parasite winning best picture wasn't like, whoa, I never saw that coming. <laughs> but Eminem coming out um, for, for no particular reason, yeah, I never saw that coming. But it was a nice surprise, and I thought he gave a really good performance. Finally, finally performing the you know his Oscar-winning uh, song, which he refused to do back in 2002 uh, when yeah. it was nominated. So I don't know, justice for the Oscars, justice for Eminem, whoever, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it came out of nowhere for sure. Definitely. I'm curious what the boomer take was on Billie Eilish singing yesterday. Oh, they just thought she wasn't good and that uh, she was she was too young to be singing in the in memoriam uh, section. And okay. she was whispering through the song, both of which were just absurd takes. But nice. I, I, I do want to comment for a second on just on the speeches that I you know, you were talking about maybe your favorite was Brad Pitt earlier. I think that Bong Joon-ho had a really great moment with Martin Scorsese while he was accepting his best director award. That was was pretty cool. Also, just sort of a random one. I really liked, and I can't remember her name, the director of the winner for documentary short, which was Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone if you're a girl. Very comfortable up on stage, good, good speaker, and, and talked talked about how, you know, it took her 40 years to sort of make it to the summit and stuff like that. And there were some other points that she had in there that I, I really appreciated. So that that was one that stuck out to me for whatever reason. But beyond that, I thought it was pretty forgettable. You know, I think Joaquin Phoenix maybe felt some pressure to follow up what he did at the BAFTAs and instead started rambling about cows for about two minutes. Yeah. The best actor and best actress speeches both went way off the rails uh, for me. Did not make much sense. I agree that and I did say Brad Pitt was my favorite speech, but now that I think about, I mean, Bong Joon-ho's, uh, I guess if you aggregate his two uh, acceptance speeches, those would probably be my favorite. Uh, mostly, and probably everyone's favorite too, to be honest, the fact that he talked about how much he was going to drink later that night <coughs> was a very crowd-pleasing moment. But yeah, yeah. you're right. His uh, 
the fact that he's speaking Korean, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, but he's speaking Korean and it's being translated by his translator. And he, he gets through this little blurb that he's saying about Martin Scorsese and then finishes it with saying Martin Scorsese and the entire crowd erupts and has absolutely no idea what he said. He could have just absolutely toasted Martin Scorsese. <laughs> would have yeah. Known. Um, yeah, he could have Fair been point. like, I, I've now uh, surpassed like one of the worst filmmakers who've ever won an Oscar or something crazy. He could have just said something horrible, but no one would ever have known. Everyone cheered. Mm -hmm. It was hilarious. Um, but yeah, talking about how he was going to uh, he, he can't wait to drink later at the party when he won the original screenplay. And then uh, when he won Best Director, I'm going to drink until morning. Uh, it was definitely a, a highlight of uh, my apartment when we were watching the Oscars and that and that was spoken. Thinking a little bit more about other parts of, of the ceremony, for me, look, I, I agree that this, I, so I didn't get to watch the ceremony last year because I was on a bus and then I never rewatched it really. Honestly, I, you, you had DVR'd it, which is how you were able to to watch it a little bit delayed, but I honestly have just no idea how to watch. Oscar. I haven't investigated, it probably isn't that hard, but I haven't looked into it and didn't didn't do it last year. So I can't speak to that, but it really did feel rudderless for large price. And I think one of the biggest sins, I'm not saying they have to go back to a host. I think they should go back to a host, but they don't necessarily have to. But what they absolutely need to do next year is for goodness sake, do not read the names of the people after the montage. The montage introduces all of the nominees, you do not then need to take two more minutes to read yeah. the names of the nominees and get applause for them again. I knew that they were gonna do that though. Yeah, I know, but I'm telling you that that will cut off literally 20 minutes of the runtime yeah. of the show. And people people always complain about being over three hours. I think that's dumb. I thought that the fact that it's a three and a half hour or even four hour award show, yeah, it's long, but it's once a year. Honestly, even though the fact that I don't think this is that great of an award show overall, it still went by quickly. Like I checked my watch, for the first time and it was 10 30 and i was like oh wow already wow cool we're pretty deep into this uh there's like maybe 30 minutes to an hour left and so i thought it was going by at a quick enough pace and i think there is some merit to the fact that a host will slow down the proceedings because of course this person you know the host will be introducing the award like the presenters etc cetera, etc cetera. but they basically were doing that anyway they had george mckay introducing someone else who then introduced the presenters yeah. of the award. and i'm like what on earth is happening right now like Awesome! I loved getting to see George Mackay uh, in, in the upper balcony of the of the Dolby Theater. But why? Why? Why is? Why? Why do they have that? It was completely unnecessary. Um, and if Andy Feldstein did the same thing earlier on too. Is look awesome that these people get to get on stage, get to get on stage and do this stuff. But if you want them on stage, like give them something to present. <laughs> like yeah, look, like, I just I, I understand there's tradition around the you know last year's winner presenting certain awards. But it, it just feels like if they really want to show off all this all this talent from from movies that may you know I guess technically Booksmart didn't get any nominations but you know of these talent from different movies of the year just put them up on stage and present an award you don't need like you don't need Will Ferrell and Julia Louis Louis Dreyfus up there because they're only like, literally it's just a promotion of Downhill or whatever their movie coming out is in like a month and like mm -hmm. like as the Oscars like I guess maybe someone's paying you to do that I don't I don't know what who's the distributor for that film but. Look, like if you want these people on stage presenting to get screen time, like give, just give them screen time, give them an award to present. It, it just yeah. seems very straightforward to me. And again, I do think that get, taking a, getting a host is the right way to go. I mean, they again, they basically had an opening monologue with Chris Rock and Steve Martin. And honest, honestly, Janelle Monae could have just hosted the show for all it mattered to me. Like she had a great opening and she could have just started the proceedings and hosted the show. Yeah. Uh, it it would have run just as smoothly. And again, I think I mentioned this, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you or not, but my theory is that like, the, the main reason why 
they probably went hostless again this year is because of the ratings bump last year. But honestly, the ratings bump, yes, it did have to do with the fact that the Oscars was hostless, but it's not because there was no host. It's because it's because Kevin Hart was the host and then he was removed. Yeah. They literally couldn't find a host to replace him. And people just thought, oh, I'm going to tune into this one because Black Panther, you know, all these other um, pop movies have been nom- like pop, you know, popular movies have been nominated, which are awesome. You know, again, films probably worthy of being nominated that aren't normally nominated. But people watching because of that and people watching to see how much of a train wreck a hostess Oscars is going to be. And it wasn't a train wreck from all, you know, all the accounts that I heard. And the fact that there wasn't any fear of the Oscars being a train wreck this year from a host perspective, uh, those people not tuning in this year. So I think, again, I can understand why they made the decision to go hostless again. And maybe if I was in their shoes, I also would have gone hostless again this year. I don't know. But I think based on what we saw this year, I think that it's going to be easier for them to fix certain things by just having a host cutting down on some of the weird stuff that they were doing, uh, presentation techniques, et cetera. Uh, and they'll definitely, they, they could definitely get this thing under under three hours. I don't know if they necessarily need to. Again, I don't, that doesn't really matter all that t- much to me, but they definitely could if they wanted to. Uh, as for the Billie Eilish thing, the only complaint that I've heard that makes any sense to me, and I don't even know if I necessarily agree with it, but actually makes sense as a critique, is you don't necessarily need someone who is more famous than anyone on the In, in Memoriam uh, page. <laughs> Uh, singing the song because it just distracts from the in memoriam component of it. Um, again, I can kind of see that perspective. Kobe Bryant more famous than Billie Eilish, um, yeah. but uh, but I, I understand the sentiment even though I don't really think that matters all that much. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Uh, I, I just have to think about the fact though that she uh, she probably didn't know who any of those people are were considering she didn't know who uh, well, it was Van Halen. She didn't know who Van Halen was fairly recently. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the thing with, with I mean, the reason why you hire or pay Billie Eilish to come sing your own memoriam is not for anyone in the audience, though. It's it's for people to tune in back home. Like, oh, there's going to be a Billie yeah. Eilish performance. Um, and I think that the problem that at least the people that I, were, I was seeing took with that is that you hired Billie Eilish to do an in-memoriam presentation to attract viewers to not watch for the in-memoriam, but to watch for Billie Eilish, which, you know, maybe yeah. feels a little bit wrong. But again, I'm not sure if that matters all that much to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was in the end, it was a pretty low key and respectful performance. So I think it justified the means. Yeah, totally agree. All right, Scott, I think we really talked about the verdict uh, of whether 2019 was a breakthrough year for Netflix. Seems like, again, maybe more on the way to that path, but not the critical point of breakthrough for them, uh, as well as for comic book movies, which, you know, Joker is a comic book movie, it is based off comic book characters, but. I don't think this means that, uh, I don't know, Eternals is going to be nominated for Best Picture next year because the Academy all of a sudden understands that comic book movies are, you know, worthy worthy of nominations. Uh, again, I just I just think that that is that is an art house Oscar Beatty film uh, with a veneer of Gotham City. Um, that's about it. So I don't I don't think yeah this is no, break I agree. Anything. If if Black Panther can't break down the wall for super, for comic book movies. I don't think Joker is, uh, but yeah, and I I just don't see anything in this year's slate of comic book movies that looks like it's going to have that same type of you know effect as Joker did. Yeah, well, we'll be talking about our first comic movie of of the year next week, and we can uh, maybe talk about whether or not we think it has Oscar potential. That'll save that for next week. Uh, last thing before we do wrap things up, I don't think we have to spend too much time on this, but there is another award show that happens on Oscar weekend, and that's the Indie Spirits, an often raucous affair. Uh, in a tent. They don't even have a theater, which is probably the best part of it all. Uh, in a tent, uh, it's on, I think it's on... IFC. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on IFC. That's right. And then, uh, and then, yeah, just the honoring more independent film uh, than the Oscars generally goes for. And that was on full display. Uh, I'm not going to run through the full list of winners here, but some of the big categories, The Farewell, winning Best Picture, which I think is much deserved. Obviously, that film didn't resonate necessarily <laughs> for us, but uh, there was a wide audience in which, uh, and in which I understand it resonated very deeply with them and really worked for them. And uh, I don't begrudge that film at all. I would have gone for Uncut Gems, but the Safdie brothers did win for Best Director, and Adam Sandler did win for Best Actor in giving a very epic speech, which I did care enough to go watch. Basically, uh, there's a lot of choice words for uh, the Academy uh, in his speech, but he did call them uh, feather-haired uh, douchebags at one point, which I thought was nice. Uh, which was pretty funny. I'd recommend going to listen to it because his entire speech is a bit because he's literally doing his uh, his Adam Sandler voice, and I think that we can uh, rest easy knowing that he is going to make good uh, on his promise of making complete trash films for Netflix over the next few years. I'm not well. going to rest easy knowing that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we still have uncut gems to look back on, though. Uh, like I mentioned, Renee Zellweger did win for Best Actress. I believe uh, Zhao Shujin did win for Best Supporting Actress. And Willem Dafoe, uh, sorry, I should say that's for The Farewell. And then Willem Dafoe for The Lighthouse winning Best Supporting Actor. Kind of rounds out the major categories there. I throw another one in that Olivia Wilde and Books, I shouldn't necessarily, I don't know. I don't know how it works, but Booksmart won Best First Feature. I don't know if that goes to Olivia Wilde or the producers, uh, but that was a, a worthy award winning there. Scott, anything else that sticks out from the Indie Spirits or anything you want to call out? No, I mean, this was, you know, a, a cool award show. Obviously got to, you know, note some subs that, some snubs from the Oscars, some movies that got uh, snubbed and probably deserve to be in there, like Uncut Gems, like Booksmart, like you mentioned. Still disappointed that, you know, a, a few movies that I love, like like Midsummer, for example, which I think, you know, was prime fodder for this type of award show. Didn't really get much consideration, even in the technical categories from what I could see. Um, and, and, and that's disappointing just shows that maybe even in the context of the Indie Spirit Awards, you know, they, they still need to go a step further for like horror films to get recognized. Anything outside of like a Jordan Peele horror film, at least. My thing with that is that honestly, I, I don't, I don't have the answer, a concrete answer to that question, but my take on it is that I just think that A24 put all of their awards budget behind the White House behind the fair the lighthouse for the technical categories and the farewell for the more mainstream ones and i think that it's not even and uncut gems i guess sorry yes and uncut gems yeah my bad yeah uncut gems as well i just think that um they made uh, like a24 made a choice to think that something like uncut gems something like the farewell and something like the lighthouse were uh, more awards buzzy than something like midsomar i think that makes sense from an uncut gems and the, the farewell perspective Slightly more mainstream films for sure, and then if you're if you're coin flipping for the technical categories, the fact that you can put a black and white film with very interesting cinematography, if not a completely nuts film, and I don't mean that in a compliment way uh, towards that film, uh, I I think you put putting your dollars behind that for the technical categories maybe makes more sense. Even though I you know obviously everything worked a little bit better for me in Midsommar than The Lighthouse, but I can kind of understand it, and I think that in a different year with a less uh, with a different release schedule, maybe with a different release arsenal, H24 might you know come to the table with a little bit more money, and you would have seen maybe Midsommar win some of those awards. Yeah, and I, and I mean, outside of the A24 context, Loose is another movie that I would have liked to see get a little bit more love. Kelvin Harrison Jr. did receive a nomination, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. All right, Scott, anything else you want to talk about? 
No, I, I think that should do it. Uh, that's that's a wrap on award season. Hard, hard to believe we've uh, we've made it to the end, but um, it was a good one. Yeah, it was a, a nice, short and sweet award season. You know, we did a more regular award season update this year than we did in previous years and uh, excited to have it be drawn out even more next year uh, when we uh, do this, but with, you know, extra three weeks before the Oscars probably or something like that and get it real drawn out uh, in that way. Yeah. But with that being said, that will do it for episode 79 of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? At Scarby Dent. And I can be found at, at shelton 2013 over on Twitter, where you can also find our podcast at, at Media Plug Pods. Give us a follow. We'd really appreciate that. But we'd love it even more, however, if you checked us out on Patreon. And our podcast Patreon page is www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. There's a bunch of different reward tiers over there. Depending on how much you're willing or able to pledge to the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you check those out yourself. And even if you contributed at the $1 level, that would be a huge help to us. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, however, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts, where we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed us, as well as subscribed and shared. All right, I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movie awards. We promise we won't do it at least for two more weeks when we do the Sun Like It Scott Awards. But after that, then you actually get a reprieve from awards season. I'm sure you're very desperate for that at this point. But uh, we'll be back next week before the Sun Like It Scott Awards to talk about our first comic book movie review of the year. We might even have a special guest on for that, and that is the Margot Robbie-led Suicide Squad spinoff, Birds of Prey. Until then, however, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Yeah.